Fantasy Campground, a D&D podcast for D&D players by D&D players. How are you guys doing today? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Good. Hey, Michael. Hola. How's it going? We're doing great. Doing great. Things are going to be a little weird since I don't. Ha- I forgot my headphones. So. No yeah. cans. That's all right. It'll be all right. Uh, it's a spooky episode two, Electric Boogaloo. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Last week's episode wasn't enough. We got to keep going. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of things today. We're gonna continue with our character concept of the week segment, as well as our how to deal with this segment. Uh, we're gonna start off with a little roundtable talk and a little recap of last week's episode. Uh, to start off, last week we talked about just uh, Halloween type episodes and just horror episodes in general. Maybe like we discussed Strahd, we yeah. discussed vampires right. in general. That was the sort of how to deal with this episode. What did you guys think of it? I liked it. I like Strahd. I like all things Strahd. I think Strahd's good all year, but it's it's even better in October. You know, for one shot in October is always a good time to play Strahd. Yeah, it gives you that definite spooky feel to everything. Was there anything you felt like you wanted to discuss previously that we left off? Uh, maybe like the plot of Strahd. I feel like we could just kind of assume everybody knows everything about Strahd. I mean, we did kind of drop that he's a vampire that you shouldn't well, also, know. Go also land, don't want to uh, spoil it for too many people, but yeah. Yeah, but at least a setup of what it was. I think we should have at least laid the groundwork of like, you know, basically that little intro paragraph that's in the book. Could have read that out. Something. I don't know. I would read it out for you, but Strahd is downstairs in the bottom of a pile of books. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so the essence of the setup is however the DM chooses to lead the party into Barovia, it's a land of despair. It's you want the players to feel like they are entering into a gray wasteland. Uh the story sets up that um however the players are led into that this land is is basically bereft of sunlight and happiness and these players are entering you're not given a lot because straw isn't even mentioned you're basically just told this is the setting of the world cold and damp and they are led into a number of there's a couple of different starting points where they can they can enter like it's either they can enter from a roadside or i believe there's a town that they can enter in from one side or another and I believe the Western Edge, uh, so they can they can enter the world from a number of different places, and then the DM lets them explore it as they as they learn more. So you don't get a lot to begin with. It's like here it is. Enjoy your cold, despair world. How many times have you guys played Strahd? Uh, just with us. Yeah, just that just, one time. Just that one time with us, Michael. Just, yeah, you played more than that. Uh, I played an online Roll Twenty where they started it, and then that kind of fell apart after okay. two sessions. How'd that go? It was interesting. Um, lot, it was pretty much all text-based, so... Oh, okay. Get that weird... Um, no mics at all? No cameras? No, nothing. How was so. the setup? How did you enter the story, so to speak? Well, Roll20 has that like online map maker thing, right? It does. Uh, so yeah. there, there was... Tokens. There was a couple of maps and tokens and things like that, but it, it, the setup for getting the characters there was a lot like how, how you did it for us when you mm-hmm. ran it. Where we just kind of walked in, stumbled into Barovia. Just walked through the woods. That was it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> in the woods. Sometimes I don't. I don't want you to focus so much on certain questions. Just here we go. Here things are. Let's move on from there. Right. All right. The road not, was long and windy, but here it is. There we I go. don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. All I know is I must kill. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Simple, straight, like easy it. to remember. Uh, so that was good. Yeah, there was a there was vampire talk and there was horror talk. So, well, let's start off with a little bit of just roundtable general D and D discussion. Justin, you brought up right before we started that uh, you know you wanted you wanted to maybe talk about skill checks. Skill and checks. The, skill checks are one of like I think there's like four just major aspects of D and D, and one of yeah. them is skill checks. Uh, I, I enjoy skill checks a lot. Right. I think, I think it's the best thing in D&D because it plays off your whole character sheet, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely everything. You have proficiencies and specifics, and then you also have, you know, your attribute points play a big deal in it, and it's, it's really coming together of the character sheet and the role-playing part perfectly. I think it's encompassing everything that's great about D&D. So for those of you, if we're, if we're broaching something that you might not be as familiar with, you have... A multitude of different things that you can quote unquote do in D and D, and a lot of them 
come from you going to the you specifically saying to the DM, I would like to do X. Right. And then you fill this X in parentheses with an, with any sort of different scenario and if the DM I want to jump across the river. Exactly. Yeah. I'd and like it, to look in this box. I, any of yeah. number of those things and your DM will instantly say that that action falls into X category and that is that will be a skill check. You'll yeah. take your awesome D20 dice that you have that you're so ready to use and you'll roll it and you'll tell the DM this is what I have and then you add your number that should be on your sheet to yeah. get a total number. Yeah. And to me, that is D&D. Like, that, the fights are great and everything, but... And it's not always instantaneous, like you said, because sometimes you will say something and the DM will go, huh, how would that translate into the mechanics? When that's the DM's job is to tell you how that translates. So you could tell him you want to do something and he has to think about it for a little bit. Uh, you yeah. also get into some some ones that are a little noodly, like uh, investigation mm-hmm. and perception, specifically when you're looking yeah. for traps or at traps, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so they gotta the DM has to determine which one you're going to use, and they're also. I always look at it with uh, investigation and perception. If it's something specific, like if you can see it, then it's investigation. If it's you're just looking for something in general in the room, then it's perception. I can see that. I think that's yeah. where a lot of people go. That's with where it. I draw my line. But you also, you could do things a certain way that the skill trek is entirely different. So the leaping across a river or a ravine or something could be... Strength. It could be strength. Yeah, yeah jumping athletics. across. Or, you know, you could describe it in such a way that it's an acrobatics Acrobatics, check. yeah. Uh, you know, you jump up and grab a branch to launch, you know, flip over and launch yourself across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things, I think the savvy like player, once you've played a little bit, you'll learn to phrase your actions in such a way that highlights your character's attributes yeah, or doesn't ones. or doesn't if that's something that you yeah. want to lean into right you know so that's that's where I was going to go to next like when I first made Narius one of the I definitely built him that he was going to do everything athletic he's got a he's got a super high athletic check high strength and exactly I was going to build him to jump over jump over rivers and, in lift, athletics. and lift rocks yep do yeah. all these type of things. Attempt to kick down doors. Attempt yeah. to kick down doors. Yes. The universal key. Yep. So that was that was my early on favorite skill check because mm-hmm. it was easy for my mind to grasp. And it so was like, wanted, all right, that's it. I want to pull that do, out of your bag. Jump this. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. What would you say is is your favorite skill check? I will make a note real quick that the uh, for everyone listening that the door kicking did not probably nine times out of ten no, did not work. God, it was great though. No. It was great. Ended up rolling low like every time he tried to do it. It was almost like a run-on joke. It, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 That became... Well, Narius is a run-on joke. So yeah. it became one of the bones of his character in general for the story, which was necessary. Right. I'm okay with that. What was your favorite skill check early on when religion, you started playing? Man, as a cleric, like anytime I could... I'd like to research what this religious thing looks like. And it's like, boom, religious skill check. That's where you get a lot like, of lore, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really dig that a as a cleric. from the religion. Having a, you know, proficiency in religion. The only problem is religion is intelligence, I think. Yes. Yeah, so my intelligence is like a one. So. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that should be wisdom. I feel like it should, too. But with your with your proficiency in it, that kind of that bumps you up, and it does make a big difference between your religion and your other intelligence based skill checks. Absolutely. So it does make yeah. a lot of sense. Like that investigation. Way. Exactly. Yeah. Now I like perception. Yeah. I want you to tell me everything that's in the room. <laughs> perception <laughs> is like the basic bitch of yeah. skills. It, it, yeah. re- Everyone wants Every perception. Time, I'll tell you it's though, the most needed. Every time I ran a campaign on those one shots, I, I got real nervous about skill checks. Am I doing enough of them? Am I making it too many? Am I asking too many people to roll? There was a few times where I just had people roll because I, I just wanted you to fail. So it's like whatever you rolled, nope, nope. <laughs> they are a good way DC to kind of to kind of break up the session, um, mm-hmm. especially like. A lot of times, you guys will get into, and w- we could do an entire session of RP. Yeah, and Absolutely. if I didn't, if I didn't call for skill checks, I mean, it would just be you guys talking, and not yeah. not a single dice would be rolled the no. whole time. And that's why I don't mind total RP sessions because they're sprinkled with skill checks throughout the whole time. Yep, making those charisma, intimidation, yeah. deception yeah. checks, There's or even the you know the insight checks on people, and 
you know, making sure people are telling the truth or right. like Avleth and you doing checking the history of things or doing some research, yeah. stuff like yeah. that. I also want the person who's listening who might not be comfortable role playing to also listen to this. Skill checks can be a great way for you early on to play as your character without necessarily knowing how to role play. Like third person RP. Yes. My character would like to do this. <laughs> yeah, you can you can say, look, you know, my character wants to persuade this person and you know and you're tr- and you're trying and you're engaging in the game, right. but your role playing is not necessarily where you might like it to be. You can use skill checks as a way to say my yeah. my per- my my bard would like to perform. She would yeah. like to perform a, a, a loot. You and know, that's a great thing about it because uh, you don't have to be a great speaker if you can do that. You know right. what I mean? Like I came up with that speech for early on in our campaign, which sounded great and everything. But if I didn't want to, I could have just been like, I would like to attempt a speech to mm-hmm. do this. Yes. Yes. They you can know? work and a number of different As a DM, I like to sprinkle skill checks every so often to make the players, they don't, they don't even have to always mean anything. Just to make them feel like, oh, he's there's something happening. Yeah, there's something you know, about that. Yes, that is a, that is a very good way to bluff the characters As, it or is, the yes. players. Yeah, just make them roll for something for some reason. Yeah. You can't know, and then their imaginations will do the rest. Check? Yeah. But yeah, and the, the <laughs> oh, explaining no. the uh, explaining the skill checks as a way of doing your role playing without actually role playing is, yeah. is a really good point. Uh, you could also. Like your speech, your your I have a dream for the hobgoblin speech that you gave. It was amazing. So it was. You actually said the whole speech, and you had your whole spiel going. I was also and really intoxicated. You, you were, but uh, <laughs> if I was DMing at that time, that check probably would have been different depending on how mm-hmm. you went about it. If you had just said. I'd like to make a speech about this mm-hmm. and then DC's roll for higher. it. The DC is going to be higher, mm-hmm. but oh, that's an interesting because thing. Have the you speech ever... you gave and you had a lot of points in the speech, you brought up a lot of things that were pertinent to the situation. I would say that probably lowered a little bit Absolutely. because you oh. yourself were actually hitting the thing. That's a good idea. Absolutely. I like that. I like and, that. And, and I mean, it can be it can be as low as one. You always want them to roll it because you want the, you know, you want to have yeah. you yeah. want to have the illusion of control. Right, you know, like, yeah. yeah, the speech worked, but roll the dice anyways. Right, you know, just to make sure you don't roll a zero and someone throws a, an egg on you. You know, yeah. and you can that that can translate to other things like the jumping over the river right. or the chasm mm-hmm. part, where I I just want to jump over it. Okay, yeah, that might fine. be a higher DC than um, you know someone saying I'm going to you I'm going to go grab a stick and I'm going to pull vault over and you know giving you a better, bigger description of mm-hmm. what they're doing. I'm going to find that may, a rock. That may make yeah, their description that may make that check a little bit lower because they're figuring out other you know things that can help them. That's right. How yeah. much does the player influence you on changing the check? Like you were talking about acrobatics versus athletics oh. for something. Say Narius is going to oh. jump over the river. Is there a way for Narius to describe himself doing that so that you please God don't make it acrobatics? One of my one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. sayings in life is everything. Every situation is situational. So if if this is a if this is a sort of critical situation and Narius is and if there's not room to be acrobatic, it's a, it's all it all depends upon the scenario that they find themselves in. You but jumping across a river, just you know jumping I mean? across a river. If I mean, how do you describe you, that to make sure do, he doesn't say, "Give me an acrobatics"? Well, check. no. If you just say, <laughs> there's no "gimme anything." If you if you describe it acrobatically, I'm gonna start running full speed towards the thing and then jump is, at the last that minute. Is that athletics. is pretty much it right there. Is you that know, you do, you do your running, athletics? you do a running long jump, that's and that's, that's athletic. a athletic. That's something you right literally there, do on field day. That's yeah. not something you do in the ballet room. I will do a hundred meter dash before yep, jumping. You just told me what it was. And conversely, the I know I said earlier of doing an acrobatics check for that you know if you did the pole vault you you could try and describe that in a way where it is acrobatic or i mean pole vault's an athletic event so okay. it could just be athletics how about can you make jumping over the river an intelligence check how many things are like rope and that might be a multiple skill check. Yeah. i was gonna say thing. yeah if you're trying if you're trying is to there make a way it- to make something that is normally a strength dexterity into some kind of mental check is that you would have to. You would have to. Sh- Again, that would be one of those things. That's what makes this game game great. Just because my brain can't think of it doesn't mean he's his can't. Yeah. You know, 
I, if he comes up a w- with a way to s- make something like that an intelligence check, absolutely. If he if he figures out a rope and pulley system to swing over there and then pull and then rope his way over to where a wizard could pull it, yeah. Then yeah, I would say that was that's an intelligence check. The the thing I just thought about for that for making an intelligence check specifically would be the you know the smart character looking around and attempting to find a tree that is large enough and close enough that that they could go. That could be perception. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be perception coupled with intelligence for them to to figure out. They would be able to calculate how tall that tree is and how wide the river is. And then, okay, yeah, that one right there. Mr. Barbarian, cut that tree down this, you know, whack your axe at this angle and have it follow. That'd be smart. That'd Mm -hmm. be smart. Yeah, see... So it's 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 one of those you got to play into your strengths. That yeah. what we're talking about right now is how I explain D and D to someone who's never thought about the game. I literally say, okay, I pose the question to you. You need to cross this river. Yeah. How would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, and and that and a person will tell you how their brain thinks, and then right. you say, like, in D and D, it's just a different way of doing yeah. that. That's literally how I would explain it. Skill checks are. How you conquer problems that the DM faces you without necessarily swinging an axe at something. Right. Yeah, Excellent. I think that's the that's that's the big hurdle. You know, when people think about role playing games in general, D and D, that kind of thing, they often think of just people sitting around talking and bullshitting. But coming up with these scenarios or putting yourself in these scenarios for skill checks to advance the game forward to uh, conclusions. And and one of the best things is the end of the. At the end of all, as as DMs, you don't even have to have a necessarily a category that a skill check can fall in. You can just simply say, "Roll a d20," and you know, and you know in your head what they're trying to beat, and then you can describe how the encounter right. plays out. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. I like it. Yeah, and that kind of so one of the things you have to think of as a DM is how hard is this action that they're trying to do? So you have to basically rank it into, you know, easy, tough, hard, very hard or impossible DCs. Uh, And you kind of have to gauge that against what level your players are and how good they are at certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're one thing I would definitely suggest is if you're trying to place a story, centric item that you would you definitely want these players to find don't make the dc too hard if they're trying to find something um i can kind of get away with that in our campaign because you guys are level freaking 16 or something now and everything you roll is i mean one of you guys yeah one of you guys has a (laughs) passive perception of like 50 or something 25 25 (laughs) that's avalith the druid yeah so she can passively see things you guys would never actively see so but I imagine a lot like when a Green Beret rocks, walks in a room, like he just looks at everything and he finds all the outs and everything. That's just Avalanche. She just walks in a room and just sees. Yeah, right, yeah, sees literally everything. But yeah, you <gasps> say you put the you put a MacGuffin in a room and it's hidden, and you want the players to find it. Don't make the, you know, the the DC, which is the difficulty check to to find it, super high. Uh, or you know, or you can change it depending on how they say they're doing things in there to make it a little bit easier. I have a very, I have a very off the wall. This may not even be off the, off the wall. How do you think about the idea of puzzles? And this might be, this might be a whole other topic all on own. How do you deal with your group not finding what you're supposed to find? Like. You like you're in this. Let's say you're in a you're in a giant cave, and they can't they can't find whatever it is that you're looking for. What do you do when when they're not getting to the spot that you in your brain have them to where they have to get to? Well, that's a question about like railroad versus. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, the the railroad thing would be probably a whole another topic for discussion. But if they're if you see they're having trouble for it, maybe lower the DC of whatever check a little bit or give them... What about... I would say try to give them subtle hints on what they need to do. What about having multiple people do the same skill check until it passes? Do you like doing that or do you try yeah, to stay away? No, if, another if thing. you have to get into that, I hate just it. give it to I, them. I hate it when, when somebody makes like a perception check and it's bad and then somebody's like, let me try. 
And it's like, ah. Mm. Mm. Instantly, could, when I'm playing the one shots and you guys do that, I'm like, you're going to fail. Like, you're just, yeah, I'm going to make you. She failed, you failed, he failed, you all fail. There are certain situations where that, to, where, where that, that would be called Backdoor skill for. check. Mm. Is that what that's called? <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain cer- situations. Like, if you could describe it in a way, like, Differently, differently, maybe allow, like but don't don't, do don't allow the entire party to go. Oh, that's bad. I'm gonna do We've it. Done oh, that's that bad. Before, I'm gonna do back it. Back when David was the DM, I remember mm-hmm. specifically a bunch of times where somebody would try something, and then nope, that didn't work. So now I'm gonna try it. No, we I'm were le- we were learning, and eventually we just had to be like, look, he failed it. It's over. That's it. Like yeah, yeah move on. Yeah. yeah, the lock broke. Nobody else can try. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, that's I, smart. Playing Baldur's Gate, that's kind of what it taught me. Like, if one character tries something, you fail. That's that's that's, that's it. it. Don't nobody else get, get to do nothing. No. You know, how you doing? Keep it moving. Yeah, but that also that that kind of leads into another thing that you could do. What uh, about if you have a very high, like Avalith, crazy high perception? We walk into a room. You say, anybody like to make a perception check? And Narius speaks up and says, "I'll do it." And he rolls horrible and fails it. Is it, would you allow somebody with the higher perception to be like, no, you're an idiot. Let me do this. Depending on how it was worded, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but w- specifically with Avalith's perception being 20-whatever. We would never um, allow him to take that check. Uh, he, he could take it, <laughs> and it could be he spends, you know, 10, 15 minutes looking around for it. And then Avalith just kind of out of the corner of her eye. Hey, why don't you look at that? And right. there it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... I was going to say that the with the the multiple skill checks and people trying to do them, that kind of leads into running a skill challenge. Um, mm, yes. Oh. So where you do well, multiple no. things. What is a skill challenge? Lay so down. one of the quintessential ones is a chase. Yep. So you you are chasing someone down, and you, you know the entire party is going after them. What what you would do is you you as the DM you go okay so. The person they're chasing is going to take these actions, and you kind of you describe that throughout how everything's going, and then you decide that okay, they need three successes for catching the person, and then you set up the chase, and then the players themselves have to describe what they're going to do to assist with that chase. So each one could have a different skill check, and depending on how they describe it, they could they and they could that's how you get them to play into their strengths. So the paladin is just going to bowl through dash. the crowd, yeah. mm-hmm. dash through and just knock people mm-hmm. over, get it going straight okay. instead of the person they're chasing having to go around the crowd. Would that, so that okay. would be an athletics check. Here's a question I've always had. Would that be a constitution check? Barreling through a crowd. Perhaps. I would say that's, that's going to be yeah, a strength. To me, that strength. does scream strength. Is there any physical constitution checks? Because I've always thought, I'm, I've seen like, oh, you drank oh, too much. I need oh, a constitution check um, to see if you're drunk. You I would know? say a long horse. Uh, the first thing is a, a long horse chase. But that I would horse think... has to make, you and the rider, you and the horse have to make a constitution check because you are, you're just, if you're sprinting and you're both going full place, like who, who can keep that endurance yeah. run the longest? See, that's where I thought barreling through a crowd, being able to like keep your shoulder down and take hits. Of random passerbys. You could do that. That could be that's, a constitution. Again, check. that's one of those things as a DM, you could say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, if you've passed, okay, now let's say you, you're doing it to Narius and Narius has passed those two strength checks. All right, Narius, this one's a constitution check because yeah. you've done it. You've done it three times or you've ran four blocks at right. full sprint and you've ran through 20 people. Yeah. It's not about strength anymore. It's, can you keep doing it? Could also be a dexterity Absolutely. check to make sure you're not Absolutely. tripping. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you, that's depending on how the player describes it. You would yeah. make it an athletics or a dexterity acrobatics check, and then if they do, it, by that time, if if they're getting near the end, so you would say, you know, three passes is a completion, or so many fails is the person gets away. Yeah. If you're kind of on the cusp, or a few people have failed and a few people have passed, and he's one of the last ones to go with his athletics. And he's still running. That's that's where you might get into. All right, you're you're in the. You know, this is the fourth quarter. You need to roll your Constitution save. You know, to see if you're still able to get that last bit of. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, going in there, or the you know, and then so with the skill challenge, you have multiple different players playing to their strengths, doing things. You could say the uh, 
you know, the wizard goes, huh, I, I see which direction they're going, and I'm going to, from memory, remember the uh, shortcut to cut them off. Fucking wizard. So that would be, you know, their intelligence check. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yep. Or the, you know... And it doesn't necessarily have to be actions described like that. The druid could go, I'm just going to turn into a bird, fly up, and follow them. Yep. Yep. And depending on how certain people word things or certain actions, that might be an automatic success without even rolling. Absolutely. So they could just go, they're they're within 150 feet. Uh, I I don't know if... Eagle eyes. You know, earth, you know, wall of earth or whatever is a... 150 foot but if they're in range for it they could just say i block off the road and there's no other place to go well that 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 killed my skill challenge thanks guys right one of my favorite things for skill challenges is the resurrection skill challenge oh yeah we do that a lot it invokes a lot of emotion from players because usually if you're doing this someone has died now that's a that's a homebrew specific thing like in the book you don't need that for resurrection no no no, no, no. yeah so the the book is just it happens and the making the resurrection or bringing somebody back from death making that into a skill challenge makes it so it's coming back isn't a given it's a this could possibly fail and every time it happens it makes thing it makes the next one harder. That's so so you get to a point where Uh-oh. no matter what you do, you can't bring them back. Ooh. There's another one that I did in a campaign once. I had an epic magic item that had to be created, and it took a lot of work from different players to do it. And that magical item had had a certain level of DC that it had to be reached in order to be. To, to work. I like that. And and each player had to use some sort of different skill check to to make the to make the item work. That's an interesting And they had idea. no idea whether or not it worked or not. That was that was the beauty of it. It's just all right, I know I have in my notes that this item that they created has this effect here. I've presented it to them and you hope it works. Yeah. Yeah. There's they can work with time based puzzles. Um Something as simple as sand entering a room, like and that. and it's filling yeah. up. How are you guys going to get out of the room? You yeah. know. Uh, so the skill challenge and skill checks in general are your way, both as a player and as a DM, of interacting with each other and giving you a hard and fast number that you can go off to see if things work or not. Right. Yeah, like I said, that is D and D. Like right. that is the quintessential. That is what tabletop role-playing is, skill checks, and I dig it. So now we're going to move on to character concept of the week. Character concept of the week. What did you bring, Justin? Me? Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I brought the challenge. That's right. You brought the challenge. I brought what the did challenge. You, what did you bring for uh, Michael to have? All right, to, campers, to I remember from last week, uh, I started talking about the Helen Keller type character, completely sensory deprived uh no talking no hearing no seeing so that's that's just terrible i am um, deaf dumb and blind and i I, I, and would I, like, I would like to lay out for those that are listening that um at the time certain people felt that this was going to be easy because there are ways to get around that until re- further reading up on things the fact that they cannot talk kills Literally everything. So, I know how to get around that. I'm not going to say anything, <laughs> but I'm going to see what you brought to the table. So, I, I think I the, your your first idea, your initial idea when you gave that challenge was to use Find Familiar. No, but, actually, that was that was Lucas's. Yep, that uh, was, yeah. My, my first way thought, was yeah. uh, psionics, mental powers. Yeah, you could do yeah. psionics, but uh, for, for those that don't know, Find Familiar has a verbal component. So, even if yep. you were to level up, the fact that you cannot speak means you cannot cast the spell. So, here's a little... Uh, twister for you in Magic Initiate you can cast the spell once a day without using its components and I think you'd be able to say that with a Magic Initiate feat you could also if you don't need the the material components you don't need the verbal components either you could just cast it once a day no so that would be a, that would be a discussion you would have to have with right. the DM for being allowed to do that. Does I, it, does uh, do you have a player handbook up here? Yep, here right we do. somewhere somewhere around here. I'm pretty sure Magic Initiate says free to do. Free. 
He's looking in the book. Can I get some... Uh... Yep, here it is. You gotta, you gotta hold it up so we yeah. can get that uh, page turning ASMR going. Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> ASMR is so freaking creepy. This is some good scotch, Michael. Alright, what is it? Magic Glenn Fittich, 15-year-old right. Solaravat. Choose a class, bard, cleric, druid, sorcerer, warlock, wizard. Choose one. First level spell to learn from that same list. Using this feat, you can cast the spell once at its lowest level, and you must finish a long rest before you can cast it in this way again. Your spell casting ability for these spells depends on the class you choose. Charisma for bard, sorcerer, warlock. Oh, I guess you still need the components. Where did I get that from? Oh, well, I that's, thought. Yeah, that's one of the things where... I thought you could do it. You know, you, you oh, think I, things work, work a certain way, and they until don't. You read the yeah, until you read the rules. Now, again, now, okay, now what we're talking about right now is one of the biggest fundamental issues of D&D, which is raw. rule of cool versus raw. Yeah, for those of you who do written. not know, yes, thank you. For yeah. those of you who do not know, raw, R-A-W, stands for the rules as written. Yeah. That means the DM, if he plays like this, can say, nope, if it the words this, do not this. say this, they do not allow for it. Now, a And rule- for the case of all these character creation challenges, it sh- should be pointed out, we are doing complete rules as written. Right. Like, you can't be like, well, I would talk to the DM and Ex- this would work. Because then everything like, is well, subject for discussion. Yeah, you know. Because, so. Exactly. So I, I, will, I will preface both of these characters as... Rules is uh, rules as written. Rules is intended. They Sorry, do both. they do work. There is a certain level of discussion that you would have to talk to the DM about the backstory. Okay. So please lay it on me. The first character that I brought is Ratha. She is a seventh level because that was the part of the challenge given yep. was seventh level. She is a seventh level fallen Azamar fighter. Fallen Asimar. Yeah, she is Fallen Asimar. Like we'll it. get that in a second. Like so it. her backstory, she was born deaf, blind, and mute. She was cared for by her clan okay. f- for a while until eventually she was deemed to be a burden and she was cast off. She was found pretty much on death's door by a quasit. A quasit is a... Oh, shit. That's my uh, creature that I was going to use as a cleric for the summon uh, CR 5 or lower uh, thing. What level spell is that? Yeah, so a quasit is one of the few items in the Monster Manual that has a variant for being a familiar. Um, and that oh, was, wait, no, it, that was Your mention last week of Mormont... Uh, having a one of the things for your grave cleric was you literally have an imp on your shoulder that talks to you that nobody can see. Yeah. Um, this quasit who wants to sow chaos pretty much finds this starved on death's door fall, uh, fallen Asimar. And if we go into the, the Asimar lore, the fallen Asimar are not typically born that way. There's something that happens to mm-hmm. them that causes them to fall. Which makes sense. Well, this is what causes her to fall. This demon, uh, the yeah, it's a de- quasits or demons. Quasits or imps, has, right? Uh, they're not imps. They're the imps are devils. Do you have a picture of one? So quasits are class. actually demons. Okay, that is so not it what, finds her and decides that I could use her. Yeah, and have some fun. So is she the familiar of it? So <laughs> you could think of it that way. Uh, so the quasit, the uh, the familiar variation. Uh, can serve another creature as a familiar. They have a telepathic bond, and while they are bonded, the master can sense what the quasit senses as long as they are within one mile of each other. Oh, shit. So oh, it can shit. use her... Uh, Ratha can, can use the quasit's sight and hearing yeah. and get around. So Cast spells through it. Uh, I mean, if it's She a could, but the problem okay. is she cannot speak through it. Hence, the reason she's a fighter, because since she can't speak, she has no verbal components. She uh, just beats so the shit out of stuff. This closet found her, shared its senses with her, which allowed her to fight and scrape by. And the fact that its intentions and its goals for her are maybe not her own. It wants her to kind of sow chaos around. She may not know that. Right. But he's he leads her around and helps her and definitely... 
you know, wants her to stay alive yeah. and use her for its own goals. So sharing its senses, she is able to, you know, get herself out of the situation she found herself in, being abandoned and starving and all of that, and basically worked her way up uh, to become a fighter of some renown as an adventurer. Okay. Um, when she talks, people talk to her, she can listen and all of that. She just cannot talk. No, she can't listen. So as her... Well, she herself can't, but the closet always being is on her, her senses is her senses. So, and it's pretty much always turned on. So, a fallen Azamar with a closet familiar that is her eyes and ears. Yes, and uh, the, like the actions like that it. the actions that it kind of pushes her to take sometimes is the but she has to what do it because he her abandons fall. her. Then she's, exactly, she's nothing. Yeah. Yes. So um, the I had oh shit man I like that. The, I was looking over some of the. How does the, a fighter get a familiar though? That's the thing is, it found her, and yep. it thought it would be interesting, to okay. Basically, it, that could be something. That would be something you talk to the DM There's about your is DM it's why a, it's a level seven. It can yeah. happen. Yeah. So yeah. well, it was before level seven is when it found right. her, yeah, and yeah. the DM you would talk like to the DM on one. why the closet. What is the closet's ultimate goal in using her? Yeah. So there is, so there's that. I was looking for backgrounds for her, and initially I found, uh, I thought Hermit, but then I, I got on Outlander. Oh. Um, I kind of actually used some pieces from Hermit, which was, I think the initial thing was that there was an incident back in my life that caused me to go into solitude. How about uh, Oh, okay. Which yeah, was her sense. being abandoned by yeah. her family and clan. Because she was um, blind, deaf, and mute, and... Yeah. Exactly. She became too much of a burden, and so she might, the you know, be seeking vengeance, and that might right. be part part of the closets. Uh, yeah, but things. it makes sense why she's a fallen Asimar. Her clan yes. kicked her out. Yeah. So, um, total interesting success. take on that. The other challenge, the defeated. other character I came up with, he is not. He he was not blind, deaf, and mute from birth. He is. Let me pull this up here. That's true. I didn't say it had to be since birth. Yes. Yeah. So she was, she was from birth. So that would be another reason she doesn't speak because she doesn't know how to speak. Well, right. Exactly. She, the closet would have had to teach her common and things like that. Hmm. The other one I came up with is the tiefling dusk. Dusk was raised by a hermitage of a religious order um, from a young age separated from his parents and basically raised up. He was told ever since a young age that he was extremely important, but he never was really given a reason why he was extremely important until one day he was taken into a back chamber used by the members of the order that he was never allowed to go in. He thought it was always thought it was weird that as he was raised by these people, he didn't, he, they taught him things, but they never really taught him everything about what they believed in. So he was kind of left in the dark about that. All right. When he was brought in the back, this is about to turn dark. It is very much about to turn dark as he is led to a sacrificial altar where he is blinded, deafened, and his tongue is cut out using Ooh, magical means. Shit. Using magical means so none of these things can be restored. The reason he is being sacrificed is because his bloodline as a tiefling is somehow related to the fall of... They could use him to cast a massive spell to hurt a god. As he is laying there in agony, his about to shuffle off from this mortal coil, he finds himself suddenly able to hear and see as something floats around the inside of the room. And a light shines down upon him as he sees a veritable avatar of God. Oh, shit. He is able to wrest a dagger from his assailants and to free himself using these senses, and it's very disorienting seeing himself in the third person. 
when he extinguishes the current threat to his life and is able to take stock of things, he himself is not able to see, but through the sight of this thing he is linked to, he finds that he is linked to a pseudo-dragon. Also a fine familiar thing. Also a fine familiar, which he is able to, uh, very similar to the closet, he is able to share its senses right. uh, as long as he's within a mile. Yeah. The avatar of God that he saw... Um, so you're looking at a Pact of the Chain warlock is where we're going? It's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the right. avatar of God that he saw was actually a solar. Uh, Ochel, who is the solar, you. a servant of Mistara. Okay. Who's a god of knowledge. And the people that were sacrificing him was a cult of Vecna. They were using their secret knowledge to cast this ritual to hurt. Mistara in the in the attempt to basically bring down this new god of magic Fucking and knowledge. Oh. The old uh, we have to get rid of this child to keep the prophecy from coming true, but then that actually makes the prophecy come true. Yep. Shenanigans. Kind of, yes. So the solar Achel uh, is a servant of Mistara and basically sent this familiar to stop this from happening. Because uh, he sensed, you know, that Dusk would be able to do that himself instead of intervening, the solar intervening himself on the material plane, okay. which I would like cause that. all kinds of Deep. crazy stuff. So, what kind of class is he? He is well, a yeah. celestial warlock. I dig it. Celestial warlock, specifically, their patrons are That's things like. That's in the like, Xanathars, right? Um, yes, that is in Xanathars. So, celestial warlocks, specifically, their. The um, patrons are Kirin, Unicorns, Empyreans, and Solars. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. So, using the, probably, uh, you know, the experience from killing his cult uh, that we're trying to sacrifice him would probably bump him up to level two or maybe three, depending right. on what happens. Right. At level two, you get uh, invo- uh, evocations for the Warlock. Which he would take at that point would be Mage Armor and uh, I forget the other one. But at level three, using this new pseudo dragon familiar, who pseudo dragons are, you, you know, they're kind of, they want to be alone, they want to be, le- they, they're kind of by themselves a lot, but they're also used by mages and things that seek knowledge. Yeah. And they may present themselves and become familiars to people who seek knowledge. And they could also speak, right? Uh, Pseudo-dragons cannot speak. Or like telepathically. Telepathically, they can uh, convey simple ideas. Okay. So uh, the reason I chose Pseudo-dragon, well, mainly because they can, it's one of the familiars that you can see through, was also because a Pseudo-dragon kind of fits Mistara. Yeah. Um, But he doesn't serve Mistara. He uh, serves a soul. A hell. Yeah. The solar, who is not the... He may be a little less forgiving than Mastara might be. Um, as such, at third level, when he chooses Pact of the Chain yeah. and is able to switch his evocations for Warlock, he will switch one of those over to... Um, we have the player's handbook here. It's I yeah. think it's like Voice of the Master or something. So he already has a connection to the familiar that he okay. can use. With the, what is voice in the mask? With with that evocation, he is able to speak through the Sodo Dragon. So that I like is, warlocks. Yeah, voice of the so chain master. Yeah, voice of the chain master, okay. which allows class, him class, to class. Uh, use the familiar senses, which he can already do. Right. Uh, additionally, while perceiving through your familiar senses, which is pretty much an always on for him. You can also speak through your familiar in your own voice, even if your familiar is normally incapable of speech. So he goes around um, with other members of probably uh, Order of Mistara. And his voice comes out of the And his voice comes out of the pseudo-dragon, allowing him to cast spells. Holy shit. I like it. I like it a lot. And that's an evocation called... Uh, Yeah, it's an evocation called Voice of the Chain Master. Voice of the Chain Chain Master. So why would somebody take that? Because most find familiar spells allow you to look and perceive with the senses. Is this a thing where it's 
not limited by distance? Um, so the... The normal fine familiar is 100 feet. Yeah, it's a certain distance. The yeah. Those specific two, Quasit and Pseudo Dragon, you can actually do up to a mile away. Oh, shit. But nothing else that I found actually allows you to speak through the familiar other than the voice of the Chainmaster. That means he can cast spells through it. That means he can cast spells through it. So up until level three, he's probably using things like... And that was the. This is the first thing that I looked up when you gave me this challenge. How many spells in D anD D do not require <laughs> verbal components? That's it. Yeah. Three, right? There's eight. Eight. And of those eight, warlocks are not able to cast uh, most of them. So what this? Oh, warlocks can what this kind you. of became so, was Justin challenging Michael to make a character that doesn't require some of the major things that spell some of three of the major things that spell casting requires. And it's an awesome exercise in breaking your brain from the normal things that D and D kind of kind of requires you to do. Is yeah. look at something, swing, you know, swing your sword, roll a dice, move on. This became an exercise in take the take all the things that you think you can normally do because a lot of the actions, even even with fighters, require you to see something. You got to see something. You have to yeah. see something in order to target it. So. It's one of those, oh man, I gotta find something to I gotta find something to help me see. I gotta find so I'm sure Michael had to look at a at a lot of different reference materials to find exactly what is rules as written says I can do this through this thing and I can do this thing as a as a side action. You know, I looked through every officially released book on what I could use. It was a lot of material. Total success. Well, I will say that as much as I like the first character, I think the second character, Dusk, that's definite hands-down winner. I like that one a lot. I think that's a great way to use it, being able to speak through the familiar, Pact of the Chain, amazing. I'm not so sure with the fighter lady, if like yeah, it's all dependent on that closet, finding her and making it somehow before the game starts. That, so. that would be that would be one you definitely have to speak. So the I mean, Dusk, Dusk's backstory, that. you kind of have to fit into the world the DM's making. But especially yeah. Rotha, you're going to have to talk with the DM on but a that warlock, closet. He would definitely make a pact with. He would a definitely make a pact yes. to get that power. Yeah. So in that time, Rotha's closet, the DM would have to work in what is its ultimate goal and yeah. use for her. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. I like it a lot. It's better than anything I could have done. <laughs> Do, like you, do you say challenge defeated? Challenge defeated. There Hands down. All Great right. challenge. So now Michael will... So how we're going to do this now... We're changing um, it up. We're changing it up just week. slightly. We're, we're <laughs> changing... No, not really. We're just changing up slightly. Instead of it just being one person challenging the other person, it's now going to be Michael is going to challenge myself and Justin. It's a competition. It is a competition between the two of us to make a character, and then the other person will deem who did the challenge better. I guess two yeah. man enter, yeah. one man leave. Two man enter, one man leave. One kid, Thunderdome. Thunderdome. So since Michael is automatically the winner by default, since I didn't make a character because I bished out, so it's almost it's like if you run in a race unopposed, you yeah. win. You win just by showing right. up. So um, now we're going to move on to our next concept, which is how to deal with this. How to deal with this. So this is going to lean a little bit off our episode of last week. I have to sneeze. I'm so sorry. What was that God's name? Achung? Achel? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for saying his name properly. (laughs) He smiles Mistara's grace upon you. Oh, excuse me. I apologize. Um... We're going to lean a little bit off of last week's episode, uh, which was Halloween episode. We're going to talk a little bit about horror settings. Yeah. So overall, the concept that I came up with this week was, as a DM, how would you set up, run, and exit? How would you... How do you deal with spooky? Right. How would you do? How would you set up a, a game that you want to try to make your characters feel scared? Yeah, feel scared about. Yeah. Michael? So many, so many ways. The the ones I did, because I, I think I heard somebody talk about it last week, so I did a, a bunch of research into it, would be going the gothic horror route. Okay. 
So Gothic is... Um, <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of the themes that we kind of see as horror nowadays. So okay. there's not going to be a lot of the... You know the the mutilation, you know killers running around, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, Barovia is a very good example of gothic, gothic horror. horror, where you have it fits in nicely with fantasy. Yes, it does. And you have the, I mean, got so the gothic style things like that. You're looking, your inspirations are going to be Frankenstein, yeah, Dracula, yeah, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, oh, uh, like a lot of That's Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. stories, That's so good. Uh, things like that. So you're looking at Beauty and the Beast, having things, eh, yeah, <laughs> I can, maybe, maybe. But you're looking at a lot of things where it's, um, you know, it's going to be a very kind of dark and drearyish kind of world. You're, you'd want to have your players set up kind of an isolated area yeah uh cut them off from the normal you know being able to get back to a city things like that um so you're talking for an entire campaign now you do a campaign or maybe you know a, a longer one shot yeah a couple um, weeks kind, you, you want to set the scene of it's basically going to be them against something that may or may not be super supernatural Okay, well, uh, the, how do you deal with this? How would you set that scene? What exactly, what are the, what are the pieces you're putting in? So the pieces I would put in is you would have the, the environment that they're in is going to be very, I don't want to say hostile, but it's going to be very um, hard. Closed off. Uh, closed off. So yeah. you, the, the no weather is going to, be, is going to yeah. isolate them. Uh, they're going to have terrain there, or the weather itself is going to maybe do them harm. Few staying NBCs. out there, very few other people. You have few other people, or people that have that just seem mysterious in, well, in and of themselves. I know in in, in uh, Strahd, the people are distant. They, they don't are. open their doors. It's very much like Bloodborne. Yeah, very like, much so. Yeah, you just you know there's people in the town, but they're not quick to help you. They are no, no. They shut their doors instantly. Yeah. Right, and the other thing I would do is it would be a recurring theme of what did they, what did the players just see, and was it supernatural or not? Oh, okay. uh, where they would encounter things that maybe mundane things that kind of something happens and it makes them question, you know, is there an explanation for this? Like a black cat. They yeah, like they think there's an explanation for it, but something, some twist at the end kind of makes them think. Yeah. No, there's something supernatural mm-hmm. to that. Or mm-hmm. give them, uh, you could twist it and give them a lot of things that are yeah. seemingly supernatural, but at the end of it, there's a mundane explanation for it, and you give them a series of those and then twist it to the, this is a mundane explanation, but it's actually supernatural. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you... you I like it. You change things up on them like that, and you get, you get them going, and you get them on their toes questioning everything, and that kind of ramps up the tension Mm-hmm. Okay. Me personally, you want to know what I would do? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Resident Evil 3. Just play the game? No. Well, like, in there, <laughs> in there, there's a guy called Nemesis, right? Yes. That, like, is constantly following. Yes. I would have that, if I was trying to make a, a spooky atmosphere, how to deal with a horror-themed uh, one-shot or short campaign. I love it. I would let them know that there is something following you. The boogeyman is yeah, coming. Yeah, there is something's there. That, like, every time they double back, it's different, you know, or something's been knocked off. They're, That's so awesome. There's something around the corner. They think know? they're alone, but as they kind of look through things, yeah. things have changed. Yeah. And when they're lower level, like, maybe make it a thing where you level up. Because most one-shots, you level up at the end of the one-shot or a couple times throughout it kind of thing. So you, you level a couple times. Make it so you know you can't beat this guy yet. Absolutely. I was going to say, like, you have them in the very first episode barely get away from him. Like, yeah. you, like you make them come with an inch of death and then have them get away by right. grace of God. And he's not fast. No. It's very it's, much it's, serial but he, killer. But he's Mike coming. Myers. Yeah, right. there's somebody there. And he's going to get you. You got to go. That's what, that was, that's what I would do. That's how I would deal with that. I would make a sadistic serial killer slowly following the party. So what I thought about was I was trying to grasp the idea of how to scare people in a game that is usually not a lot of visual. And I and my first thought was Jaws. 
that was one of the most classically scary movies Absolutely. that you didn't because you didn't see the shark. You didn't even see the shark because you the didn't first, see like, the shark hour because because he was a ma- because the movie was masterful at building suspense, building up the tension over a long period. Now, now in a D and D world, that is cha- what I would say. What we're talking about is one of the most challenging things in D and D to do, which is to create a scary game for. Usually what's adults. If you're playing with kids, it's a little bit easier. The The range of things that you can do to be scary is a little bit there. But to build suspense is a is is a long is the long running game. Yeah. So how so in specific, let's get down to specifics, how you go about doing that. So you leave you it's the hands it's almost the Hansel and Gretel type uh, strategy. You have to leave breadcrumbs of the monster. Enough. Enough but not to, everything. Right. They need to get an idea of see what it. it is or where or not, you know, what you want to go. Do you want to lead them somewhere or right. do you want them to run from somewhere? Do you want them to have an idea of what this is or do you want them to have no clue what this is whatsoever and just fear it? So it's yeah. kind of you have to make a couple of decisions about what you want this thing to be. Um, you know, the the book it was masterful. Stephen King was masterful because you, you read that book? That book's like a billion pages. Have you seen that I, thing? Like yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The original. It. I've read. I've read the synopsis. Of <laughs> Doesn't it. Have make any no, sense. Have no. Yeah. But it's like it, a kid it, The cliff notes. You read the cliff notes. You saw, yeah, the, you cliff saw notes. the movie. The cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you didn't know what you, you didn't know what the monster was. Yeah, it was a spider. Yeah. yeah. All it was. So it's a weird spider from space. Suspense. Is a is the idea of getting getting the and and how I would do that is you want you almost want the players to bicker and and not they they, they well, need to like not that. be united like on what this sewing thing division. is sewing to, because sewing if, division is huge if you have them campaign. if you have them disconnected and not and not on the same page with this is freaking they're out. not gonna they're yeah. not gonna yeah they're not someone's gonna, gonna make a mistake take someone away but yeah. let them come back have them have them experience right. something and then have someone else experiencing something else so in our campaign uh oh, we, ross we and get i so scared when someone gets taken ross away. and i got <laughs> literally uh invasion of the body snatchers and like an evil vels and an evil that is exactly uh, yeah yes yes Shazak were placed in, and only you figured it out like instantly, but then talked yourself out of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. Is Every, everyone else was like, "No, there's no way no, that could happen." And, and like, then yeah, after a few right. minutes, you talked yourself out of it. Yeah, I was, I was that hilarious. that was a DM shit in his pants moment because I was like, "Oh my god, he figured it out!" Like you figured it the out the second these things came out. <laughs> That's not. Uh, but then you talked yourself out of it. I was like. Whew. Thank God. Yeah. But it had you questioning because then other people started questioning it as you had to fight. Um, you were fighting with the evil versions against the good versions. Illusioned. Illusion. So they Illusioned looked like over. they looked yeah. like bad guys, but you're fighting against the good version. So that was a eventually lot of fun you started my, questioning. From people. my perspective, that was a lot of fun I'm to so try to play like an evil and, and so stupid at the same time. time. Yeah. So that's a good idea. Sewing division within the party really, really umped, amped up the. Uh, Horror aspect. Always remember, on. as a DM, you are allowed to lie. Yeah, you can lie, lie. Uh, I mean, you know. Again, I think that goes back goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the episode, right. which is you got to take checks. good notes if you lie. Skill checks. If if your players pass certain skill checks, tell them the truth. If they don't, lie. lie. Yeah, lie. Oh, if if idea. it's something, if it's something that's like I need to, I need to give them something here, you know, because a lot of this game really comes down to how much information you as a DM give to your players. So what what information you give them, disinformation, yeah. leading them in certain ways. You give know. them enough half-truths that some people form their own decisions about it. And yes. Right. It, yes. That's not the same thing the other part of the party right. you know, figures out from what you gave them, and then you have that division. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Building, building division, building suspense, and on, so getting a little... Out. What about what about ambiance? That was Music? that's what I was gonna say. So the talking before the game, before the players even arrive, I would let them know if 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 you can play at night. This is one of those things. You know, yeah. if you can if you can control your schedule, try to play in a dark. If you're trying to set up a scary game, set up a dark environment. If you're playing Lance during the day, candles. yes, set up candles. 
Rose petals. Something I thought about and Justin was making fun about. Oh, I absolutely. would say rose petals would definitely creep me out. <laughs> always talk. Always talk like this. Hide from the other room. I would. Screen. I would. I So Justin's you making fun of it. I would hide behind the DM screen and you wouldn't get to see me the whole time because I don't want you to know where the monster is. It's it's funny that you say that and then you're, you're joking about it. But um, that is the way. It, this is the way. Uh, that in the beginning of D and D, that a lot of dungeon masters played is they, they were hide. they were behind a screen, set off from the table, describing things. Oh no, Ken! Of course, that was also when they controlled all of the roles. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so okay. players right. players had no dice. That's yeah. right. But they would be set off. They are the you know they are the adjacent narrator to the story. They're not at the table with the players. Uh, hmm. The literal word of God coming from behind a screen. Yeah. I once had wild fantasies of building like a box that you that that the dudes with with like all behind like straight up Wizard of Oz style to where you just pulling levers, smokes coming out, and you'd see and and dice would come out and you would see like this is whatever I I, sometimes my brain gets a little wild, but yeah that's uh, so horse horror and setting up a scary game horse horror settings a lot of come down to the 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 ideas that you're playing with and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be halloween nope. horror no 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 you can you have can horror right. without spooky vampires you that's know, right you can have horror without you know Resident this is something Evil. you can use for a for a certain area in your homebrew campaign yeah. this is you know this is how you can achieve if if they're in a dark dungeon and you you want to try to ramp up the scary yeah. this yeah. is how you do that you know oh, yeah you know when we were talking about like npcs in barovia Another way, like a Children of the Corn kind of thing, where all the NPCs say the same. Children thing. are terrifying. Yeah, that just would be, in general. If I, I was have in a one. campaign and we went into a village and it was all ten-year-old kids, we're instantly and leaving. No adults, and they're all saying the same thing. I'd be like, "This is Velst would be shit. committing committing another genocide." Absolutely, that town would be burned. <laughs> That's actually the. Uh, I, I think there's a tie-in for straw that allows you to get the characters up from, I think first to third or fifth level Yeah, where they play. Uh, and I think we played it. Um, we started at three. I think. They That's meet the, some children. The they meet some children in the street and they go into a house and the children are super weird and creepy. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Like that would creep me out as a player. That would really creep me out. Yeah. But I'd say, yeah, definitely. You can definitely do horror other times of the year. The, yeah. um, the I mean, you guys were in the the library of Ayun, yeah. and I was kind of playing some of the, uh, trying to get a little bit of that horror aspect going with you guys encountering the um, the modified oblex in, yeah. the, in the stairs. Yeah. You know, where what also people were a, getting taken and things like that. Was also a really good horror aspect that was in that library was timed puzzles. Very, uh, uh, what is that? The, the jigsaw kind of thing mm-hmm. putting in those situations like you you do this like somebody put the player puts their hand in a box and suddenly they can't get their hand out and, oh, so, and, the, and the time starts ticking and the mm-hmm. other players have to figure it out or else that player loses a hand that is so i just i literally just had like my brain instantly like as a dm that's how you can make puzzles yeah to where okay like let's say you want to make a puzzle that is strength based yeah. you take away the strength based character yep you make him suddenly not be able to move yeah. and make all the non-strength based characters have, have to figure to, yeah. out, figure out how they would do a strength puzzle yeah. without the strength based character there's so many different ways that you like can that. think about this game yeah doing, you, doing jigsaw what was that what was that movie not jigsaw what was it called? saw saw yeah, yeah doing yeah, saw yeah. type puzzles very horror like jigsaw yeah. was the was the serial killer yeah the, the killer yeah, yeah. old man with cancer yeah cancer um, but yeah, that's that. That kind of ties into what we were talking about, you know, skill challenges and setting things up as the DM, and always, always making your players feel like you're in control. Like yeah, you have like there's there's a reason for everything, and it can just be as simple as roll a dice and yeah. we'll see what happens. You know, and you you can that's that's a simple way to build suspense. Just say something and then look at them. All right, move on. Or you it's, you know they. Let them take control of the situation just long enough, and then break it from them. Your control is an illusion, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was great. That was good. All right. So next, I think we're moving on to challenge. Challenge. Character creator challenge. This is going to be uh, me versus Lucas. 
Yeah, that's going to be you two. Okay. Coming up with a character of my idea that I've been thinking about. Actually, no, the entire time I've been sitting here, I've been racking my brains on what to challenge you guys with. But I'm going to come back to one of my favorites that I've been thinking about for a while. Yes, I like it. So here it is. You have to create a level 10. Okay. I love high level. Like Non-dexterous non rogue. Non-dexterous rogue. Okay, so what, what, is his, what is the maximum his dexterity can be? Eight? A, a 10, right? That'd be zero. Whatever well, I would say, if if we're gonna go for that limitation, I would say we're going off the simple point, the uh, point array. Mm -hmm. Whatever you make it from there cannot be increased with oh, ASIs no. after that. Oh no, I was gonna oh, say, yeah, absolutely. No, you it. cannot use it. anything. I'm win the shit out of this challenge. Okay, it's over. So it's, it's ten. Over. So his maximum dexterity can be ten. I mean, it's whatever you want it to be. But he can. But he can't be. It could be a twenty, but he doesn't use dex. Oh, so it it, it it cannot be the this top stat from the array. Right. Absolutely. I was gonna say it needs to be it needs to be the dump stat. It could be the dump stat. It has to. That's be. fine. Yeah. So you want simple pipe, simple simple point by array thing? What is it? The the simple array. Simple array. Yeah. So okay. simple array. It cannot be the top stat that you choose for the simple array. I'm gonna dump it because why not? You know. And yeah, any any of the books. Done, done. Easy. That's so easy. That's not a, barely a challenge. So it's so easy, easy. But who's <laughs> going to do it better? Oh. Since we've changed the uh, the format into it being a competition, I changed from the super hard to the which one can do it better right. challenge. Two men enter, one man leave. Thunderdome rules. Thunderdome. We don't need another hero. <laughs> uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. I always like hanging out with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys, for coming in. I appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for listening. Again, uh, go to twitch.tv backslash the negotiators, all one word. We're live every Monday night. Uh, I don't think this Monday, though. No, I think we uh, somebody texted about that earlier. No, I think we're going to do this Monday and then this Monday. maybe take the next okay. one off as we move offices. Yeah, we are, we're moving studios, which I'm excited about. It is. Getting it's to so a, super uh, Like a purpose-built studio, mm -hmm. which is going to be kind of cool. Yeah. We're going to have uh, microphones everywhere and cameras. It's going to be a good setup. Everybody, please keep an eye out for that. Come and uh, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe yeah, to this podcast. Yeah. I'm in the process of making a Twitter, uh, by which I haven't started yet. <laughs> but it's a process. It's an idea. So it's the process idea. has begun. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Everybody, come on out for that. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a great week. Bye.